G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Today, a conversation that I think will lead us into a sense of wonder and awe at the amazing and complex beauty of creation in understanding more deeply what it is that the two shall become one flesh. And uh, if you're new to that sort of terminology, you've probably heard that when you've been to a wedding. When you talk about two people uniting together, the two shall become one flesh. Well, today, our focus on the two becoming one flesh, a focus also on what we might even classify as women's health. Now, this is a conversation about the value of mother and baby and the value of dad gets a look in too. When a woman falls pregnant, the DNA of a father is integrated into the body of the mother for life, taking to a whole new level the depth of intimacy achievable for the male and female union. Well, our special guest today is something of a pioneer in scientific research known as microchimerism. The expression refers to the coexistence in the same organism of two cellular populations derived from two different individuals. In humans, cells derived from another person may persist in the body for a lifetime. So what does this all mean? Let's get some insight. Dr. Kathy Wallace is a medical doctor qualified in neuropathology who believes that we are on a new frontier of individualized genetic medicine. And all of this uh, comes uh, to the fore when we talk about the sort of science that we'll be able to discuss today. I want to make a special welcome to Dr. Kathy Wallace. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to 2020. Hello, Neil. Thank you for that remarkable introduction. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a, a GP. I practice in, in, uh, in Adelaide. Uh, and microchimerism, or the presence of male DNA in women's bodies by virtue of a woman um, bearing children, has actually been well known for uh, a number of years. But it's only recently that there's been an explosion in the medical literature regarding this topic. And uh, just to bring our listeners into the picture in terms of what this means is that in Greek mythology, uh, chimera were fire-breathing monsters with lion's heads, goats' bodies, and serpents' tails. In other words, creatures made up of biologically different species or different organisms. Well, I mentioned at the beginning, Kathy, that uh, that I might need correction, and uh, and that you've already got me on one point. My pronunciation of your science, uh, oh, micro <laughs> microchimerism, and I said uh, microchimerism. That had a little bit more romantic feel to it to me, but uh, microchimerism. Yes, so chimeras were these creatures that were um, in in history known to be made up from different organisms, and they're considered to be mythology or mythological. 
But this term, microchimerism, was first coined by a French mouse researcher, and he basically found that there were cellular populations derived from two different people. Um, in, and this, this gentleman, um, you know, basically wrote about it uh, as a long, long while ago. Uh, but George Small was a gentleman in 1893, described the presence of fetal cells in the maternal circulation, so in mum's bloodstream, and he reported on the importance of this in regard to a nasty condition that pregnant ladies can be afflicted by called preeclampsia. Okay. Well, as we get into this conversation, Kathy, uh, we will very shortly, we'll invite listeners to participate and it might be one of those conversations you might need a little bit of uh, knowledge to understand uh, how we might contribute here, but there might be people with questions about some of the things we'll talk about. No doubt some of the things we'll talk about over this coming hour could be even quite controversial. So. Uh, we'll say get ready for that. But Absolutely. let me let me just bring you back uh, from talking about Greek mythology and uh, chimeras or the idea of uh, fire-breathing monsters with lions' heads, goats' yeah. bodies and serpents' tails uh, yeah. to the children that we bear and we hope that our babies yeah. uh, don't resemble anything like no, that. No, but uh, take us... The- Take yes, us back to the to the one flesh uh, understanding that we have exactly right. as Christians. Yes, certainly. Well, well, that term has been derived from that principle of having more than one person's DNA inside a person's body or, or a person made up of more than one set of DNA. So that was where the term comes from. But when we consider what the Bible teaches us, when a man and a woman come together and in Genesis, um, you know, the Lord basically brought Eve to Adam, and it is well known that, um, um, you know, they become one flesh. It's always thought to be spiritually one flesh. And I'll just quote that scripture, Genesis 2:24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, what we're finding, what science is finding now, is that that actually really happens. And it's actually a physical one flesh um, covenant relationship. And we know that covenant is very critical to our Lord, uh, and, and God has created us for this covenant relationship of marriage, where two become one flesh. And uh, this principle is being well supported by uh, the science that's coming out in the medical literature, and there are a number of researchers who are commenting on this, because what we're finding is that... Um, when women bear babies by more than one partner or when there is exposure to uh, more than one sexual partner for women, then health issues can occur. And this is actually, that part is not uh, unknown. It's very well known that changing sexual partners um, can create risks to subsequent pregnancies. And this is known in hospitals and in obstetrics when uh, a lady is having a baby by a new partner, the risk to that pregnancy goes back to uh, the same risk as a first pregnancy in terms of miscarriage and preeclampsia, which is uncontrolled high blood pressure where there's a danger of that condition uh, developing into eclampsia, which is a very frightening condition where there's a risk of loss, pregnancy loss, as well as loss of um, the, the, the mother, in other words, her death. And so these conditions are considered very seriously and are monitored with great care. So all of these issues in pregnancy can occur 
because of exposure to new DNA from the mother's sexual partner. Well, Kathy, it gets complicated and it gets controversial as soon as you take the whole understanding of pregnancies to multiple fathers. And we know that uh, no one's passing any judgment here. But in the understanding of how all of this works, and particularly having since uh, going back as far as the 1960s, a sexual revolution and the relaxation of sexual ethics, uh, the idea that women might have multiple children to multiple partners, uh, not because of, you know, losing a partner, perhaps they died, uh, but because they have just had numerous children to numerous partners, uh, there are health issues that have arisen from not doing it in the way that you might think is ideal. How do you describe the health issues that surround uh, this whole issue as we, we're talking about uh, your science here? Um, Neil, you're absolutely right. It was from the 1960s, and it was based on uh, the work of uh, people like uh, Kinsey, for example, and his erroneous and very um, debatable uh, quality of research was actually utilized by people to actually initiate this process of sexual revolution. And then feminists also have actually created this milieu where women are, in, in a sense, forced to believe that they're just like men and that they can do the things that men do. Well, we find that from uh, the medical science, what we find is that um, that is simply not the case, and women are far more susceptible to diseases, and um, uh, they're far more vulnerable. So coming back to this question about you know, children by multiple partners, um, has been shown in, in a research paper from, um, from Scandinavia that... Um, Basically, women who had children with more than one partner had a higher relative mortality rate, which was even higher if she had children by more than two partners. And this finding, uh, you know, persisted in their data. The, the researchers were, were so surprised by this that they actually said so in their paper. They said they could not believe that such a large difference existed between the mortality rates in the women they studied based on whether women had children by single multiple partners. And you know, we take a risk, don't we, even talking about the issue, the risk of offending some listeners, and uh, we'll have to take that risk because we want to actually get to uh, some of the scientific foundation here because when you're talking issues to do with sexual revolutions and uh, the way that people talk about sexuality these days, uh, there is a sense in which they will avoid in the mainstream media at all costs any sort of discussion that there might be a health risk that's associated yeah. with some of this relaxation. And really, I imagine that you'd, you'd be thinking if people knew some of this detail, they would think twice about the way they conduct their relationships. Is that the way you think of it when you recognize this scientific foundation? Well, you know, I believe in evidence-based medicine. I believe in, in researching things. And I like to pr provide my patients with the best care possible in terms of the best evidence possible. So we find that there's a variance between what is commonly known in, in, in a market. This is media also tends to drive these processes. And I'm not sure. I like my patients to, be, uh, to receive informed consent. In other words, to know all the details, good, bad, and ugly, about any medication they're starting on or any other lifestyle change or any factor. 
uh, I try not to um, harangue my patients about their choices, and, and, I, and I, I basically make a concerted effort not to do so, not to be judgmental, and to actually provide them with the evidence and let them make up their mind what they'd like to do. However, what I'm finding is a lot of patients are very ignorant about the facts. They're ignorant about the science. They're ignorant about what's in the medical literature. So they believe the media-fueled, media-driven um, kind of uh, principles of, of living life, and very often they actually have expressed considerable regret when they realize what the truth of the matter is. And uh, even uh, when I was working at Flinders Medical Center in the pre, pre-admission clinics for, for surgical procedures, um, you know, we, we'd be uh, talking to young ladies who were coming in for procedures to their cervixes because they had actually contracted uh, human papillomavirus infections from having sex with multiple partners. And they said that no one ever told them that that cervical cancer or cervical cancer risk was associated with um, with sex. And they said they wished that they'd known that. So there seems to be a bit of a, a gap between people's knowledge. And I, I feel that, you know, in general practice, I feel that it's um, my, my duty to inform young people about the risks just the way we do with smoking or the use of illicit drugs, for example. We, we inform people about the risks and therefore there are risks associated with other types of behaviors, especially for women. And men need to also be aware that there are problems associated with um, not following uh, certain rules and regulations. But because I'm a Christian, you know, and I don't tend to um, talk about my Christian faith in clinic because I keep that professional boundary very separate from my own personal beliefs. And I think that that's good practice as well. But um, thinking about things a certain way leads to various outcomes. So when people think along the lines that uh, certain behaviors might be difficult or challenging or put people into vulnerable situations, then we find that the medical literature, when that is supportive of that, I think people need to know. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. A fascinating conversation today. Our special guest is Dr. Kathy Wallace, a medical doctor qualified in neuropathology who believes we are on a new frontier of individualized genetic medicine. So what does it mean for the way that our sexual ethics have changed? What does it mean that Abortion is now so popular among women almost as a birth control procedure. Uh, Kathy, before we take a call, and uh, we'll, we'll take calls 1-800-316-316, let's just talk about uh, having babies in a biblical and perhaps a Jewish tradition. Uh, having babies has been considered to be a wonderful thing, but our culture seems to have changed that idea. What are your thoughts? That's absolutely right, Neil. I mean, in the past, you know, when we go back into scripture, we find that uh, the instructions to Adam and Eve were to go and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And even after the flood, God's instructions were the same, you know, to go forth and multiply and fill the earth. So those instructions from God haven't changed, you know, and we're still, um, I haven't seen any um, revocation of those instructions and marriage and having babies was considered to be the most important thing in the Jewish tradition and in the scriptures. So 
So there were women in, in the scriptures that were, are very well known. David's wife, um, Michelle and um, Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, uh, where they, they struggled. And this was a very big problem for them in that culture because having babies was wonderful. Indeed, Rebecca, when she accepted the proposal of marriage to Isaac, uh, her relatives blessed her like this, saying as they were leaving, they all blessed Rebecca by saying, our sister, may you be the mother of tens of millions. May your descendants take over the city gates of those who hate them. And so this picture of having babies is exceedingly important in, in the scriptures. Okay, These let's, days, yep. most women want to try and prevent having babies, Christian and non-Christian ladies. Uh, young women come in, and everybody they see in relation to being on the pill, the, the instructions and the means by which pregnancy is to be avoided, everyone talks about that. And very few people have a conversation with young ladies about how to have babies and how to have them safely and how to have the best babies possible. So this is a big change because of this pressure that we're under to reduce the human population worldwide. And however, a lot of people may not be aware that the Australian fertility rate has dropped considerably, uh, and in, in part because of the pill. And our birth rate is, is probably expected to drop to 1.53 uh, in the next 10 years or so, which is exceedingly low. And that is a, is a problem. Okay. A lot of ladies are delaying having babies, and then they're struggling with fertility issues also. So our, our way of looking at having babies has changed a lot over the years, and therefore there are more complications for women in that regard, also having babies later in life and, um, and uh, you know, putting off having children is, is creating a psych risk to women also. Okay, let's take a call. Tony is on the line from Melbourne. Hello, Tony. Welcome. How are you there? Very good. Yes, Tony, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are with the mind, um, like can can behaviour or substance abuse, I know substance abuse of any drug at all, you know, being medication or whatever, but can the mind kind of trick the body or the uterus or whatever, the egg and the sperm of the um, the person who's conceiving the child, male or female, and by learning, like as I say, you've got learned parents like scientists or something, both scientists or one scientist, they're a learned baby, they're a learned child, they're a learned man or woman. Can anything like that happen in child the mind affect the way the child's mind's developed in any way? Uh, Tony, uh, good question. Let's ask uh, Dr. Kathy Wallace. Uh, Kathy, your response for Tony? Yes, thank you, Tony. Thank you. That, that, that is a good question. And I've recently spoken about the environmental effects on uh, pregnancies. Um, basically, a woman, when she's pregnant, uh, she has to be looked after properly. But I find that a lot of women aren't aware of the effects of stress and environmental factors. So Tony, you're absolutely right that there can be medication, there can be environmental exposures that affect a woman and her pregnancy, and particularly the outcome, which is the baby. Having a baby, having a pregnancy is a miracle in the first place. Being able to have the DNA of another person inside you growing there and for the immune system not to attack it, that is a miracle. And which is why a woman's immune system requires training to accept the DNA of the man with whom she's having her baby. And that has to happen by virtue of exposure 
to sperm in the vagina during sex. So this is how the T lymphocytes or the T white blood cells are actually trained not to attack the baby when the baby comes. And uh, what happens is by changing that DNA by exposure to sperm from multiple partners, for example, the immune system doesn't receive that type of training and then the risk of uh, a miscarriage is greater. When it comes to environmental effects of, say, the pill, for example, there is a risk of an elevation in steroid hormone binding globulin. Uh, Kathy, before we take any more calls uh, or talk about uh, some of our Facebook comments, uh, let's talk about this existence of DNA from men in women's bodies uh, because uh, this is only just becoming more deeply understood. Uh, what do you think of uh, when you uh, when you think of the DNA of men in women's bodies because uh, when we can think of various ways that might get there but there are a, a number of different ways. Correct. Yes, that that's quite right, Neil. Um, and and you know, naturally, this has been the subject of a lot of uh, scientific evaluation in terms of so um, in in terms of how does this DNA actually make its way across the placenta, perhaps, or into the bloodstream of the mother. And and based on the fact that this happens, a lot of uh, prenatal screening tests are being developed. And uh, you know, people often are offered these tests. Uh, in, in the context of a pregnancy to see if there's any abnormalities in the baby. So this prenatal screening is based on the science of fetal microcarnerism, where the baby's DNA is found in fragments in the mother's, in the maternal circulation. So uh, there's a range of different tests, Harmony and Nesta, a couple of them that are well known in Australia, but there's also a risk of sex selection uh, occurring as a result of fetal microcarnerism and being able to tell the sex of the baby. But these are the things that are probably on the negative uh, side of, um, of this type of science. But the, the presence of fetal DNA in a mum's body has been found in all different locations in the mother's body. For example, in the liver, in the thyroid, even in the brain. The oldest woman in whose brain male DNA was discovered, she was 94 at the time of her death. And naturally, to do a brain study like that, uh, it was after her death. And she hadn't had any pregnancies for 50-odd years at that stage. So the, in, in, in the literature, there's a suggestion there that this two-way traffic where baby cells enter into mum circulation and mum cells enter into the baby circulation enables the close contact between mother and baby while the baby is growing inside mum and also afterwards when she needs to breastfeed baby, this all becomes possible because of the training of the immune systems of both the mother and the baby. Now, where does the father fit into all of this? Because the microchimerism is happening between mother and baby, but is yeah. there a reversal or is this still being studied? Well, basically, we, we, we need to remember that baby is half mum and half dad. So at the time of conception, it's the sperm chromosome set, which is uh, haploid, which means 23 chromosomes, and mum's egg uh, chromosomes, which are also numbered 23. When they come together and that new person is created, at that time, there's an enmeshing of the two sets of DNA. But when baby comes along, baby is quite unique, a complete new individual. Some people refer to this as 
almost like a, uh, a transplant. So when, uh, and it's quite a remarkable miracle that the mother's immune system doesn't kill that new person because the DNA or the cell surface markers are so unique in that individual because the DNA that's gone together to make the new individual is half mum and her cell surface markers are acceptable to her immune system naturally. But the father's DNA, his cell surface markers are not acceptable to uh, the mother's immune system. So theoretically, the, the mother's immune system would behave in a way as uh, it would for a transplant, where if you were transplanting a kidney into a person, then that person has to be on immunosuppression medication to prevent the kidney from being attacked and rejected. In much the same way, a woman's immune system needs to be trained not to attack and kill the baby that is half dad. Okay. All right. Now, it does and sound so complicated. It, 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 it is, and, and it isn't, because it's sort of like, you know, a baby is half mom and half dad. Yep. So the dad component of the baby might attract undue attention from the woman's immune system if it isn't properly trained to accept his DNA through sexual intercourse and exposure to sperm in her vagina and in her body. And that actually helps prepare the mother for bearing his child. And of course, it gets complicated when you have children by one mother, but with separate different fathers. And when we talk about this exchange of DNA, are we saying that when a mother has a child from a second father, say a second child from a different partner, uh, yes. that the DNA from the father of the first child actually is in the second child as well? Yes, uh, it, it, it could be, but, but it's, um, it's a little bit trickier to elucidate that. Currently, um, this is another you know, interesting question that's being raised from this, is that if, if male DNA is, is found in the bodies of women that have had sons, uh, what happens when a woman has a daughter? Is, is that, uh, how can that DNA be detected? Well, daughters also will contribute their father's DNA into the mother, that, that bears them, um, but that DNA is a little bit harder to find because it's double X chromosomes, in other words, just like mum's DNA, whereas the male DNA is easier to find by virtue of the presence of the Y chromosome because that stands out in a woman's body. And this DNA has been, uh, it, it behaves like a source of stem cells. So in other words, if the woman has uh, a diseased heart, as has been seen in the medical literature, or a diseased liver, then this source of stem cells from the baby has the potential to heal the diseased heart and heal the diseased liver, as has been seen in the medical literature. However, fetal microchimerism is also associated with a range of health problems, including things like autoimmune conditions, like uh, systemic um, you know, lupus erythromatosis, uh, systemic um, sclerosis, as well as um, things like autoimmune thyroid disease. And um, the researchers currently aren't sure whether the fetal cells that are detected on testing tissues in the mother's body, whether they're innocent bystanders or whether they're actually active proponents of the disease process. So even in, in breast cancer tissue, uh, there has been fetal microchimerism found in, in brain tumors 
there's been fetal microchimerism found in Hashimoto's thyroid disease, likewise with Graves' disease and a range of other conditions like that, there have been fetal cells detected in tissues when they're tested. Okay, let's go through a couple of quick comments from our Facebook page where we've invited listeners to leave a comment or a question. Uh, One of those, Justin says, I'd be interested in how we can talk to and to teach our children about this from a young age. And uh, we'll get to that because uh, I I know that that's going to be an important factor just as we draw some loose ends together and we're not that far away from there. But another Facebook comment from Mike in Tasmania who says, soul ties also occur when people engage in sexual contact. Multiple partners equals multiple soul connections, uh, which need to be broken off by God. So we are connected spiritually with only our spouses. Now, that's getting into a spiritual area, and we're talking scientific areas today. But uh, do you have a comment for uh, Mike from Tasmania? Absolutely, Mike. Thank you very much for your question, and that's a very good question, and I like talking about those things also, because we're not just physical entities, we're spiritual beings, and we're made in God's image, and God has given us some rules and regulations to live life, so we can live life to the full. He's not a party pooper. He invented sex, as you know we've all heard uh, said before. Now, just in terms of the physical aspects of, um, you know, closeness, approximation between a man and a woman, even just laying together in bed. For young people, they often ask this question. Uh, in fact, I was asked this question very recently. Is, is it wrong to sort of hold hands and kiss and things like that? Well, in, in a woman's body, there are a lot of physical and sort of chemical changes that do occur when she's close to someone that she loves. And there's a lot of um, neurotransmitters and other hormones that are emitted. So women are known to be more vulnerable to being emotionally very connected to someone, uh, especially if it's intimate uh, relationship that she is engaging in. So um, she can actually end up with a broken heart more easily than maybe a a man, whereas uh, men are also very susceptible to a kind of an emotional um, link with the women that they are physically intimate with. So um, it's basically, I I feel that as far as the spiritual connection goes, I I can't comment on it other than the fact that, uh, yes, it's entirely possible that there is a physical uh, an emotional as well as a spiritual connection there. But that is a very good question. We do need to think about that very carefully. But we know that God has gave Adam one wife, Eve, and uh, we also know that after the flood, um, Noah, and his wife went on board the ark, uh, before the flood, that is. And then uh, Noah's three sons each had a single wife. If it was possible to just take one woman on board for all three sons, um, perhaps to save space on the ark, uh, but that wasn't the case. God allocated one wife to each of Noah's sons. And so basically, I think for women and men, I think when we follow the principle that um, a sexual union is for life, to the best of our ability, um, then that is actually following a principle that leads to good health. Now, the interesting thing is that life is not perfect. We live in a fallen world. Bad things are known to happen. People can't always stay with their their partner from their youth, although we, we try and do that because it is a covenant relationship. But bad things do happen. So there's no judgment here. This is just... Uh, our talk today, Neil, is just to arm people 
and, and give them this information that I think that they would need. Because understanding fetal microchimerism and the means by which it may occur is a challenge. It is. And abortion and miscarriage are associated with an increased risk of those conditions, those health issues uh, that we talked about that are associated with fetal microchimerism. Okay, well, now we're taking calls. Let's take a call uh, from Alex in Essendon in Melbourne. Alex, welcome along. Uh, Good morning. Yes, I just have a question regarding the sin of Adam uh, being transmitted to all mankind. Uh, Does the blood of the woman uh, circulate into the child at all? Okay. Uh, Kathy, your response for Alex. Uh, yes, uh, Alex, thank you very much. That is a good question. I understand what, where, where you're coming from in terms of Adam's sin being transmitted through the woman, in, in, in a sense. Uh, blood from a woman, uh, it, it was previously thought the placenta was this impenetrable barrier between the mother and, and the baby. However, now we find that the, uh, the placenta is very much a sieve. So whatever the woman takes, even if it's paracetamol, few heartbeats later, the baby has the same medication uh, in, in their bloodstream. So that while there, there, there shouldn't be blood-to-blood contact, uh, it's not necessary that that, is, um, that isn't happening. And, and there's a suspicion that there are uh, maternal cells that get into the baby's circulation also as well as fetal cells getting into mums. So there's a very, very intimate, close contact uh, between uh, mothers and babies. Okay, thank you so much to Alex. Uh, 1-800-316-316. There may be time to take another call, but let's move on to just some of those side issues that develop. It's very easy talking about one man and one woman. Uh, these days, though, Cathy, uh, the idea of one spousal union and the effects from uh, things like uh, IVF or donated embryos, donated sperm uh, and egg or uh, surrogacy. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on how this whole microchimerism affects uh, these different ways of reproduction? Well, Neil, that's an excellent question, uh, absolutely. And yes, in, in that one flesh union, uh, and as Christians, that is what we aimed for, is, is one woman and one man. Can there be the transfer of genetic information from a donated embryo, for example, that isn't, uh, that doesn't come from the man and the woman in question? And absolutely, there is that, that chance, and women and men who are um, involved with uh, assisted reproductive technology and having babies uh, because of female or male infertility need to be aware of the situation where if, uh, say, for example, it also applies to lesbian uh, women who are uh, using donor sperm, for example, in order to, um, to, ha- to make a baby. That woman who bears that child needs to be aware that the sperm antigens, the DNA from that sperm, that DNA has the potential of being embedded in her life, in, in her body for life. And uh, that being the case, she just needs to be aware of there being a a risk of autoimmune conditions that might occur because of that. I mean, we don't know for sure, uh, but there is a potential there. And those risks need to be discussed in a sensible way. And that is part of the science that that we're aware of and that people need to be advised of, is that when there's a miscarriage, there could potentially be a risk of autoimmune conditions. Likewise, in the case of abortion, there's a risk increased autoimmune conditions as well. And I often meet people who really, you know, they're very sad um, and regret 
uh, what might have happened many years ago, and I help them with those uh, situations, and we get counselling, and we uh, help them along with that. But the autoimmune conditions for women, by virtue of having babies, is a challenging situation, and that's absolutely correct. But it is a challenge for feminists, because, you know, the DNA from aborted babies can linger on in a woman's body, so that baby never actually goes away in that sense. So, um, and the other thing is that, um, you know, women are inextricably linked to their husbands in that way because the DNA from the babies that she bears from the man that she's married to or is, uh, is, is having children with, that DNA is almost like an ongoing sexual penetration of that woman for life. And, and that that's very uh, controversial and difficult to deal with. And uh, as you say, those sorts of things never get talked about. Uh, and especially as uh, the Parliament in Queensland is about to uh, to talk about uh, and debate and vote on uh, how they'll respond to changes to abortion law in Queensland. Uh, let me just ask you uh, if we were just we've only got a few minutes remaining in the conversation, and uh, uh, there was one uh, those. Uh, F, those Facebook uh, uh, callers, uh, those pe- people who responded on Facebook saying, how can we talk to our children? Do we talk to our children about the problems or do we talk to our children about how to get things right, actually put things in place? When we talk about so, right relationships yeah. and right ways to bear yeah. children, right ways absolutely. to have the health of the mother, uh, how do you describe I, that, Kathy? Absolutely. Well, you know, God's already done that. He's already had that conversation with us, but we we wait till science sort of catches up with God's word, I guess, um, in, in, in how we deal with these things. I guess, you know, understanding that women and men are different in terms of their biology and in terms of their susceptibilities. So women are that vessel that bears children. And as such, I think the safest and the best way to have uh, children is to follow the principles that are already provided to us. And those people who aren't Christians, they too can benefit by following principles of of good health because no one is immune to the dangers and the difficulties that occur from uh, how things can go wrong and the autoimmune conditions that can come about and the emotional difficulties that women often experience when they regret things that have happened in the past. So to protect people against that, uh, and to protect ladies against the ravages of um, autoimmune diseases, I think applying the principles that are derived from science that happen to be perfectly compatible with what God's Word teaches us, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I think that, that is the best way forward. And, you know, husbands and wives and parents, they need to have these conversations with their children and young people that are uh, in a relationship. They need to have these conversations with each other about children about how to go about having children and have them early in life. Because what happens is, I don't mean having the babies early in life, I mean having the conversations early in a relationship. Because leaving it till too long, a lot of ladies stay on the pill for 10 odd years, and by the time they're ready to have a baby and they stop the pill, they experience problems. And I have a number of patients like that. And reproductive um, medicine is a very big field now with more and more people requiring interventions that are avoidable, I suppose, if they knew the information that they need to know. So parents having that conversation with children early without reservations and explaining it to them at a level that they can understand and appreciate it, uh, I think that's the best way forward. And uh, children need to know the truth also.
Well, it has been wonderful getting your insights today, Cathy. And uh, for those who are not scientifically minded and you don't want to follow this through further and find out more detail, uh, go with the biblical principles. Uh, this idea of children are beautiful, children are good. And uh, one partner, a lifelong partner, uh, is uh, the way that God prescribes things through marriage. And, of course, the protection of the child, the protection of the health of the woman uh, is all a part of that. Uh, let me just point people to the article that Kathy Wallace wrote uh, that uh, is a peer-reviewed journal article entitled Becoming One Flesh. And you can find it, and oftentimes when we talk to people from uh, Creation Ministries International, pointing people to creation.com because they have something in the vicinity of 10,000 plus uh, articles that talk about all sorts of scientific things uh, from a creationist point of view. Well, there is the article that is called Becoming One Flesh by Dr. Kathy Wallace, and it is available for you if you go on to creation.com and simply do a search there. You'll find Dr. Kathy Wallace, Becoming One Flesh. Uh, Kathy, is there uh, another place that people can access that article? If uh, you know if they can't find that at creation.com, uh, how do people get a hold of some more detail about this? All right. Well, um, there, there, there's very little uh, available about this topic. Um, and uh, Creation, you know, Journal of Creation published in 2015 this article entitled Becoming One Flesh. Um, then Nature, which is a, one of the premier scientific journals, they, they published on this very same topic uh, last year in 2017. And so it's actually now available on creation.com. It's got a lot of medical jargon in it, but, you know, it is readable and it's got different paragraphs, you know, explaining what this is. And that might be a good place to start. Um, I hope that in the future I can write something that's more readily available to a general uh, readership rather than something that was designed to be read by, uh, say, a journal article written with a bit more technical jargon in it than is appropriate for a general um, population. And uh, I hope I can find the time to write something like that, and I will endeavour to do so. Uh, well, Cathy, I know that there'll be listeners who will have hung on every word that you said over this past hour because they are intensely interested especially in new ways of talking about how God has so wonderfully created men, women, and this reproductive capacity that we have and into our children. Uh, let me just point people, creation.com. The article is called Becoming One Flesh. The author is Dr. Kathy Wallace. Kathy's been our guest this past hour. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.